Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Okay, uh, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Uh, or if you're a user of the Bible app, feel free to grab it and open uh, that app. You can track along. Uh, there will be a couple of scriptures that we turn to that aren't in there uh, just because they were late ads, but I think that's good. I, I have a, a irrefutable fact to set out before us today. You ready? Are you ready? Nobody likes to be judged. True? Uh, so let's just put this in context because, you know, thinking about being judged, and let's, let's bring it down to where we live. Um, you're sitting at a stoplight, and because your reflex is now, hey, I grab my phone and pick it up and see what has gone on in the last 42 seconds since I was sitting at the last stoplight. You pick it up and see what's going on, or you actually, you know, heard it ding or felt it buzz or whatever, and you pick it up and see what's going on, and then you're responding to something that you see online, on social media, on whatever, and uh, the light turns green, and the person behind you gives you a little beep, beep. Now, you could be perfectly innocent. It may be a 911 emergency in front of you, but you feel judged at that point because you're like, hey, I'm the light's green. I'm going, okay, that kind of thing. That, that's, that's the truth. Or, or um, you're driving with a certain dema- uh, amount of determination. <laughs> All you speeders, go ahead. And there comes in your rearview mirror someone who says you should not drive with that level of determination. And they have red and blue lights to help you remind, remember that you should not. And you feel judged. You, you, you feel judged. Uh, depending upon, uh, bring it down again, a little bit closer to uh, maybe a little bit more even important, depending upon where your company is and what quarter you're in, uh, your performance evaluation may be around the corner and you sit with your boss and they've got a form and they, they work it through and give you, you know, one, two, three, four or five. And at that point you feel judged. And the, the truth is, is that some people don't even get the help that they want, that they need and maybe even want, but they don't get the help they need because they feel judged. And I've got one word for you to prove that. You ready? Dentist. You don't get the help that you need because you walk in there and you're like, no, everything's just fine. It's great. This is, this is true. Um, today, Jesus uh, picks up the topic of judgment as it relates to personal relationships. And I, ju- I just want to take a second. I so appreciate Tyler um, uh, preaching last week, did a great job, seek first the kingdom and don't worry. And he had the opportunity to preach last week, actually preach this passage last week and he wimped out. So I just want to note that that's the case. And I'm judging him. Uh, but if you, if I just want to ramp up to get here in chapter five of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, Jesus talks about the genuine goodness of God and how um, it comes into our lives by faith and begins to take over our lives. And it, it begins the renovation process, this transformation process. Um, and it, he paints all of these pictures at the end of chapter five. Um, he paints a picture of how the genuine goodness of God uh, will overcome our anger and will decentralize um, things like lust and desire um, from the gravitational center of our lives and how that works itself out in marriage and the way that we speak to one another and the way that we relate even to people who are our enemies and how we can trust God 
um, in, the, in, the, um, in his providences, in, his, uh, in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And he ends chapter 5 with, so be perfect, be whole, complete, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that only happens when his genuine goodness, what the Bible terms his righteousness, takes over our lives. God's genuine goodness. And then he begins to work this, work this out in our lives. So how, how does it begin to um, affect us? And so he starts in chapter 6 by saying uh, this, this genuine goodness affects um, the way that uh, we uh, have personal rhythms, these things that we have built into our lives, and these practices uh, that are there. In, in chapter 6, he specifically talks about giving and praying and fasting. Some of us have other practices that we add to that, but this works itself out in our personal rhythms. And what he tells us is this not only impacts the way that we do these things, but also these things are the way that we apply this to even greater and deeper and more important levels in our lives, these personal rhythms. And then secondly, and this is the section that we uh, spent some time in for several weeks, that um, the good, genu- genuine goodness of God overcomes our fear and, and it expresses itself in our personal religion. So how we relate to um, the stuff of this earth, how we relate to the resources that we've been entrusted with, how we, how we relate to even our emotional life with our worry and anxiety levels, all of that kind of stuff, all of that is impacted by God's genuine goodness. Because when it is in our lives and we have a father who cares for us, we can release some of this other things that we would typically worry about. And then uh, for the um, uh, next couple of weeks, we'll be talking here in chapter seven uh, about how God's genuine goodness impacts our personal relationships. And this is where Jesus starts in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you will, uh, excuse me, you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You have a crit first. Take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give the dogs what's holy. And don't throw your pearls before the pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Amen. Okay. No, that's kind of a strange little way to close that. But uh, th- there's, there's a couple, when it comes to um, the genuine goodness of God working itself out in this particular passage, um, I, I want to f- focus on two ethical kind of s- commandments that Jesus gives us here and then talk about the worldview in which, uh, that Jesus has, uh, the world in which Jesus uh, knows actually exists that helps all of this make sense. So, Here's the imperative. Now, first, first imperative, don't judge. Now, that wasn't hard to find, was it? In, in verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Now, that's a pretty popular verse these days. We'll talk about why uh, here in a little bit. But John 3.16 used to be the most popular verse in the world. I'm pretty sure it's Matthew 7, 1 now. Don't judge. Don't judge. Uh, okay, and so w- what is he asking of us? When he lays out this command and when he sets this before us, what is he asking of us? And I I put it this way, and I I think this is pretty close to what Jesus is after here. Um, Do not pursue, do not pass, do not pronounce, or do not wish condemnation or judgment on another. So let's just, let's walk through each of those. Don't pursue. So don't, don't uh, kind of go after, uh, look for the fault in others. Anybody? have that problem? Know of anybody who has that problem? Don't, don't pass judgment or condemnation on someone. Most of the time, where does that happen? Right here. That's where this happens. Or here. 
or you pass judgment on someone, or you pronounce it. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never do any good in this world. You, I mean, th- this, this thing is done. You're done. You're nothing to me. Or don't wish um, judgment or condemnation for another. That's what Jesus is after. I, I think that's how he wants us, how he wants us to think about it. And when we do this, when we think about judgment, what, what we are trying to do in that moment is we are trying to control through either our categorizing somebody, labeling somebody, or um, through our actual condemnation of that person. And so I'll break those two down. Through, we're tr- controlling through our categorization of somebody, and it would say something like this. Oh man, that, that family, they are some sort of dysfunctional. They put the fun in dysfunctional. Oh, oh, he's so greedy. Have you ever been out with him? He's so greedy. Man, I was in that conversation, and she is so shallow. That's all. That's all you get. We were, we were with these people, and God, they were just, I mean, everything they did was always about them. They're always, they're so selfish and self-centered. They just want to show off a little closer. Uh, they're, they're a loser. It's so lame, whatever it is. Categorizing, labeling. That's, that's one way that we seek to control the relationship through this judgment or condemnation um, is by labeling. The, the other way is actual pronouncing, if you will, or, uh, of condemnation. And so you know, again, you write these people off and I will say, you know, pastors never have any of this in their lives ever. Uh, and ministers generally, um, one of the harshest things that has ever been said to me personally was said by another minister to me about my ministry. And here's what he said. You ready? This is 20 something years ago now. You ready? Um, Hey, if you don't do this, what I'm telling you to do, God will never use you in ministry. Now, here's what just happened. There's two things. Number one, you can't believe that somebody would say that to, you know, somebody as nice and, you know, (laughs) me. And second, tell me if I'm wrong. There's something in you that wells up with judgment towards the person who was judging. Because that's what happens in me. What I want to say is, here I am. Hopefully being used by God. But the moment I do that, we'll, t- we'll talk about this in just a second. The moment I do that, I have just jumped into this cycle. I have, I have categorized and I have condemned that person. This, this can happen in ourselves. Let me just say, uh, and if you spin up things in your life, um, and in your mind and in the, um, th- this kind of self-condemnation, this, the self-talk that comes along with it uh, can be pretty rough. And, uh, you know, I've got to be honest, there are times when um, you really need some help to break thought patterns and, and that kind of thing in your life. Um, l- let me give you a scripture to turn to and hopefully uh, memorize. This is not going to be in the Bible app and it's not going to pop up on the screen. You can just jot this down, but just listen. First Corinthians chapter four, the first um, five or so verses. This is how one should regard us as servants of God and stewards or uh, managers of the mystery of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found 
faithful. Don't you want to be found faithful? But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Paul's writing from jail and he's writing to the Corinthians and he goes, hey, look, uh, you know, we've had some problems, you and me, but listen, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court, to be honest. In fact, listen to the end of verse three. In fact, I do not even judge myself. In our world, we would say our self-talk, as as strong as it is in our minds, the self-condemnation that comes our way sometimes, Paul says, I don't even give that credit. Verse 4, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment uh, before the time. And he goes on from there. So so it does happen in our own minds and in our own lives. But I I think primarily it happens in uh, relationships. And this is why. Because I'm right, I want to straighten you out. Any married people in here? Do you get that? So in the, in the uh, first service, uh, we had a couple sitting right over there, um, had been married 66 years this past week. Amazing, stunning even. And so I asked, I just said, hey, um, 66 years in, you got him straight yet? She goes, nope. <laughs> Why? But, because there is no power in me to straighten out my spouse. I wish I could. I'm sure my wife wishes she could. I know she does, but there's no power in me to do so. What, what, what about, what about with kids? I mean, there, there is power appropriately. So to train them, but there's no straightening them out. God has to do something in them. And, and I, I think the kind of labeling and categorization and condemnation that comes along with this idea, I think it is such a normal part of our lives that we don't know we can't even picture a world, and we certainly wouldn't know what to do with a world that didn't have that giving and receiving of judgment. But what if, what if, what if our families were free of that? Would our families be better if we treated one another the way that we treat a perfect stranger? What happens when, when we label and when we, categorize, when we categorize and when we condemn? What happens is shame. Shame is what grows out of that soil. We think that we're going to produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We think we're going to help them bear the fruit of the Spirit. But does my condemnation or my labeling of someone, does it produce love in anybody? Joy? Peace? Are they, are they more at ease, at peace in the world because of my labeling or condemnation? And on and on we could go. It's only shame that grows out of that. Oh, so, so what happens? What happens as a result? This is verse 2. Jesus is pretty smart. He knows what he's doing. Uh, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Counterattack. This is the normal response. Now, when I told that story a while ago about what that guy said to me, and I'm telling you, everything in me wants to jump into that judgment cycle. But all it is is getting me in the crazy stuff too. And so counterattack is the normal response to this. Jesus knows that this is the case. And if it's not an immediate punch back, then that counterattack shows up in other ways. Um, few out of a book that I was studying with, if it's not lashing out, how about this one? Procrastination or tardiness. Um, 
perfectionism, the rejection of authority, a refusal to accept praise, uh, the, like getting right on the verge of success and then blowing the whole thing up, and on and on and on and on. This is the way that counterattack can work itself out. The, J- Jesus knows that it's easier to point out others' flaws than it is to deal with our own faults. And he uses this amazing picture, so, so much so that nobody, nobody who's heard this before has ever forgotten it. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? The log would be um, the equivalent of something like a two-by-four. Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log, a two-by-four, a board in your own eye? Hypocrite, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly. And so um, let's just put, put this down to where we're, where we're living here. Jesus paints us, I mean, this hyperbolic picture, and it's so great. Has anybody, I, I had to do this a couple of years ago, um, I guess because I got hit in the head as a kid. I developed a cataract in my left eye. Anybody had cataract surgery before or LASIKs or anything like that? Yeah, you, you go into the doctor and they've got lasers in this machine and they're telling you, keep your eye open. And I'm like, I'm so tired. And you know, kind of go through this whole thing. Imagine Jesus is painting this picture. Hey, we're about to do some laser surgery on a really, really important, uh, important part of your body. Hold really still. And, and you look up and you're like, hey, doc, do you mind getting like the two by four out of the way first? That's the picture. As ridiculous as that sounds, that's the picture he's painting. Something so precise, something so right there. And yet the doctor who's going to do this has got a big two by four sticking out of his head. He knows, Jesus knows that it's so much easier to point out everybody else's flaws than it is to deal um, with our own faults. Why do we not notice? We don't notice because there's one of several reasons. Here's one. I am a very poor judge of my own self, and I tend to give myself way too much credit for virtue and way too little detriment for vice. I'm like, oh, look, I was really kind to that person. Never mind all the other stuff. Oh, but look, surely it outweighs it. My guess is that the vast majority of us are really great at giving ourselves credit for our virtues and forgetting about the weight of our own vices. Uh, another reason um, why uh, it's, it's, this is easier is we play the comparison game. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I got some stuff in my own life. It's, it's pretty bad, but like, <laughs> at least I'm not them. Those folks over there, I'm not them. I'm good. Or the speck in that somebody else's eye, whatever it may be, that's my favorite sin to pick on. Or um, the, the, the pace of my own life doesn't allow me to stop and actually reflect on the board that is sticking out of my head. Uniquely, I think, in suburbia, we get challenged with that last one because we've got this and that and this and that and this and that and we have to go all the time and get there. And Sometimes it doesn't allow for us to reflect on what's going on. So I think the biggest log, let me set it up this way. It's good to help people, yeah? Anybody with me on this? 
It's really good to help people. And so the New Testament actually has plenty of ways that we can help one another. The way that we do church as family, um, pray for one another, encourage one another, love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, confess your sins to one another, um, uh, and uh, bear one another's burdens, and on and on and on, right? We've got all these one another's, and it's good to step into that, and it's good to help. I think one of the biggest hindrances of, of stepping into that and actually trying to help is that big board of condemnation coming out of my... It's not so much that I've got, a, I've got another big problem and I'm going to try to step in and help you. No, like the problem is that I tend to judge you for your problems. And so Jesus wants that out of the way. I think that's, that's that. What, what if instead, what if we turned our frustrations into actions first. Before they became Facebook posts, before they became worries and concerns, before they became prayer requests that we shared at small group. What if we turned our frustrations into actions and started there to actually help? We change minds through our actions rather than trying to argue somebody into it. Don't judge. The the second imperative is in verse six. Don't give dogs what's holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot, turn and attack you. So here's, here's the way I think what Jesus is saying. Do be discerning. Do, do discern. Church family and everybody watching, listen, the world does not need less discerning Christians these days. Our world is broken. It is messed up. There are profoundly dark places. It does not need Christians who seed ground, who back up, or who just keep their mouth shut when it's appropriate to speak up. Do be discerning. There are, there is a kind of cultural pressure on all of us um, to to capitulate. Don't do that. Uh, the way I said it this way: Do not be brainless and do not be um, uh, spineless. You can't do it. Don't do it. Like the world needs people who are committed to the truth of God to let their light so shine before men that the father may see the good works based on the things that they know to be true and glorify that they may see, um, excuse me, they may see the good works and glorify their father who is in the heavens. Like this is really important in our day and age. We don't have to be brainless. We don't have to be spineless. Furthermore, God's word is true. It's true today. It's true tomorrow. It'll be true um, the day after that and next week. And no matter who's in the office or who's in control or who's the boss or what, Jesus is the king and his standard holds. We don't have to back up from that. What we do want to do is be discerning with that. What, what is discernment? It is, it is God's insight applied with God's wisdom. God's insight applied with God's wisdom. God knows things about how the world is supposed to work and how the world is allegedly working. He knows things. God's insight but also then applied with God's wisdom. Because there are times when I may have God's insight, but if I don't apply it with God's wisdom, what happens? It falls flat, makes somebody mad, whatever. And so I just I point this to you um, in, in the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 26. And again, this isn't going to show up, but just, just listen to these. these is, this is uh, Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. The two verses are back to back. You ready? Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5, 
answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which one is it? Do I answer a fool according to his folly or do I not? Which one? And the answer is, well, it kind of depends on what the situation is. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. Like you got to be wise enough to know how to do it. It's God's insight applied with God's wisdom. There are times when somebody needs to be answered and there are times when there is somebody who you, you don't need to answer them at all. There are times when you do speak up and there are times when you remain silent. Even Jesus himself at times gave an answer and at other times he just walked away. At no time though does discernment, it, it may speak up at times or it may remain silent, but at no time does it seek to manipulate or somehow come at him hard. Thus saith the Lord, da, 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 da. Take up the mantle uh, of the prophet. The, the question that Jesus brings up here in, in verse 6 is a question of help. It's not, it's not a question of worth. It's a question of help. Some people have used this as, oh, they're just dogs or they're just pigs. I won't do it. No, no. That's the furthest thing uh, from Jesus' mind. Over in Luke chapter 7, uh, and it occurs in a couple of other places too, but um, th- there's a lady who comes to Jesus. She's like, oh man, can you help my little kid? She's, she's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. He's like, hey man, we, we don't throw scraps around here. She's like, oh, but even the dogs like me, e- even they can get fed. Jesus is like, there's folks in Israel who allegedly know God who don't have your kind of faith. May it be done for you. So, I mean, this is not Jesus declaring worth. This is about Jesus helping us think about what is actually helpful. The question is one of help, not one, uh, uh, not one of worth. And so let me just give it to you this way. Um, I, I have three four-legged furry creatures at my house. They're very sweet. Two and a half of them are, okay? But they have been trained. If you come over to my house and you're eating dinner or wherever, they will show up at your feet. Because my dang kids take whatever they is on their plate that, I mean, mysteriously, they all of a sudden don't like, and they just... And all of a sudden, the dogs are enabled. Don't give dogs what is holy that, you know, your parent worked so hard to put together. I'm pretty sure that's what that means. Does anybody in their life have someone that because of what is good, is that, that, thing, that thing that is good is actually enabling someone for their bad? You've got something holy and right. But it is somehow, some way enabling somebody else to continue to live in the darkness that they're in or in the patterns that they're in or whatever. That's what Jesus is saying. Keep going. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. I have three dogs. I don't have any pigs. My my guess is, though, not knowing everything about pigs, my guess is, though, is that pearls aren't uniquely helpful to the pig's diet. Is that fair? Maybe. So, if I go throwing these things that I deem so valuable, 
that is not actually helpful, then what happens? They trample them underfoot. And because they get hungry, they turn and attack me. At least I'm edible, right? And there are situations in which things that you deem valuable, you're going to like push off on somebody and they don't, they don't deem it valuable at all. So Jesus comes along and says, do be discerning. Apply God's insight with God's wisdom. What is most helpful to the situation that is in front of you? To push it on them is relationally detrimental. And at times makes them mad at you and at other times or both concurrently uh, convinces them of its irrelevance. So here's the final question. What did Jesus know that helps all of this make sense? Like, what did Jesus know about the world that helps all of this make sense? Here's what he knew. First of all, Jesus knew that God does judge. You can't hardly pick up the scripture without reading a page on which God either is declaring judgment or is actively bringing judgment. There are story, there is story after story after story, psalm after psalm after psalm, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, letter after letter after letter. Well, you see God being the judge. Jesus knows that this is the world in which we live. God is judge. And listen, he's good in his judgment. He's right in his judgment. Everything is perfect in his judgment. We don't have to surrender that. We don't have to worry about it. He's a better judge than we are. All of that's absolutely true, but he does judge. Typically, that works its way out in one of two kind of phrases. Um, The first one I heard about 20-something years ago, Um, with a highly religious person, and I've actually interacted with people like this a lot since then, but but it goes something like this. Yeah, Jesus says don't judge, but I'm perfectly comfortable with my standard because he says, hey, um, you know, don't don't judge because if the standard you judge by, that's the standard that you're going to be judged by, and I'm really comfortable being judged by that standard. (laughs) Does anybody actually live up to their own standards? So all I'm doing is storing it up, man. All I'm doing is storing it up. What that is is a license for me to be mean or or, um, judgmental towards somebody else because I think I'm going to get off okay. No, no. The the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. All of us, everyone, must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there we won't be judged by the standards that I create or the standards that the president creates or the standards that somebody else creates. We will be judged by the standard that the king has declared. Every one of us. We will all give an account. We will. The second way that that expresses itself, I'm comfortable with my standard. That's one way. That's kind of the religious way, the kind of irreligious way, uh, non-religious way of saying it's something like this. Well, only God can judge me. That seems to be a fairly popular phrase as if, as if like I whipped that out. That's my get out of hell free card. See, only God can judge me. I mean, I am my actions and you're sitting there judging my actions and me. So, uh, but only God, only God can judge me. Here's what I respond to that. But God will judge you. That's what the Bible says. 
And I, there's no glee in me. There's no like, ah, see, I'm going to get you now. There's none of that stuff. Listen, but God will judge. We will all, every one of us, give an account for our lives. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he is there on that seat. And the king will pronounce what is right and good over our lives. For every careless word, the Bible says, we will give an account. Those things that you let slip out or that gossip that you, uh, with that, or that condemnation or that kind of snide remark towards your spouse or towards your kid or what, all of that, you will give an account for those things. And there are many other things, all the thoughts that have come your way that you didn't take captive all the, the, the ways that you let your attitude kind of creep up and, and, and express itself um, in your actions toward these other people or towards those kind of people or whatever, we will give an account for those. Only God can judge me, but he will judge us. But he will. This is what makes all of this make sense. And I would just say to you, whether you're in the room or watching online, if you've got something rumbling in you right now, or there's some fear that has kind of creeped up in you, this is exactly why we need Jesus. He took the judgment for us. The thing that was rightly due to us, he came and died in our place and for our sin. So that we, so that we can experience the incredible grace of God for our lives, in our lives. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, I want to beg you today, flee to Jesus. Run to him and confess your sin and what you will find is that he will forgive you. This is what makes all of this make sense. And I'll just, this last thing. If you're not a Christian, boy, run to him. If you are and you follow his teachings in his life, here's here's the, the sentence. But because God judges, we don't have to. Yes, we need to be discerning. Yes, we need to be as helpful as possible in light of the situation that's in front of us. But because God judges, I don't have to. And folks, that, that, is, that is tremendous comfort. And for the 2,000 years that the church has been around, listen, it has been tremendous comfort to God's people. God judges, I don't have to. Like there is a moment coming when God will make everything right and he will do so perfectly and he will do so um, without, uh, an, uh, without inappropriate prejudice or anything. He will make it right. And so I can just trust him to make it right. He's good, he's righteous, he's just, and his judgments will be too. Because God judges, I don't have to. If you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that frees you up, lets you release the desire at times to control someone through your condemnation or your labeling on them. If you're not a Christian, I just want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus today and let him forgive you and let you, let you can begin life with him today. I would like to pray for all of us. And um, we'll have a song of response, but our only hope is him. 
Our only hope is him. So let's pray. Let's pray together. And we'll have time to respond in just a moment. Father, um, the things that are in front of us here, they're true and they're right. And I mean, we can sit wherever we sit and we can question them, but they're true and they're right. We can wish they weren't so, but they are true and they are right. So for every person watching online here in the room today who needs to release judgment of someone or some group or some whatever, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would help them to do so. Without surrendering discernment, without um, capitulating to the... uh, uh, the, the, the standards of the world, we don't have to stoop that low. Instead, we can hold on to the truth and trust you to do what's right. And for every person in here who doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day that they flee judgment and run to you, Jesus, and you embrace them. Forgive them of their sin give them new life. I pray that today would be the day that happens in somebody. Do so for your glory. Our only hope is you. Please continue your work by your spirit for the sake of your church. And Father, we pray to you in Christ's name. Amen and amen.